Welcome to Lonely Girls, a podcast dedicated to examining, archiving, and applauding the loneliest girls in media and pop culture history. I am your co-host, Madeline Turner, um, and if there's one thing I know, it's to never go in against anything with Rebecca when death is on the line. (laughs) You better bet your bottom dollar, Maddie. Hi, Maddie. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Sorry. Um, Never go in against Rebecca Botter when death is on the line. Absolutely. Uh, Hi, Maddie. How are Uh, you? (laughs) I'm doing doing well. I'm feeling fantastical, mythical, maybe a little medieval. I definitely don't feel like the queen of slime. Oh, the queen of filth. Yeah. The, the queen of pudrescence. I don't feel like that. And so, so how are you how are you doing? Y'all, if you can't tell, this week we're talking about the Princess Bride. This week we're talking about Sex in the City Five. <laughs> no, Sex in the City will. Season Five. <laughs> which I know is what y'all all really want. So no, we're talking about uh, Princess, Princess Bride. Bride. So <sighs> First, let's do our Lonely Girl moment of the week. Maddie, do you want to go first with this? Yeah, I'll go first. Okay, so like we had very um, sort of cosmically complimentary Lonely Girl moments. We did. And I I mean, if you're a regular listener of this podcast, one thing you know about Rebecca and I is that we love loud music. Yes. um, Live shows. Staying up late, being mm. on our feet. We love it. And it big groups gets of people us, all squished oh together. Oh my gosh. We just like, we love it. We live for it. Like if there's a live music venue and people performing at that venue, like we're also there. And I, and I don't bring earplugs. That'd be a silly, no. lame thing to do. I don't. I don't just leave halfway through to go stand outside for no reason. That isn't no. my favorite thing to do. Well, I have um, to say something very <laughs> cool is Maddie at her concert experience. You were with the band. Oh my gosh! So, context for my basically, Rebecca and I were both at concerts, famously, like big concert, big shows at the on the exact same night. Uh, at the same at the time. Exact, at the same time. Uh, and it was hilarious because neither one of us are ever in those environments, um, like, normally. Mm-mm. Normally, by choice. no. At the, by choice, no. <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> yes. I was at my concert because I your, – your BFF-in-law, yes. my, my other BFF, is – in a band that tours a lot and they're usually always touring on my birthday. And so it was very important for us to, you know, before they left on tour, spend Maddie's birthday together. I famously ended up getting so sick um, and so was not able to 
even see them, let alone celebrate my birthday before they left. On my birthday, we were on the phone and they were like, what if, here's a crazy idea. What if you just came to New York, hung out with our friend. We have a, a mutual friend from high school who lives there now. What if you just stayed with him and then we all hung out and like, then we could pretend that your birthday happened that day and we'd get to celebrate Maddie's birthday. Additionally, for context, they play in LA a lot, but there is like a hierarchy of sorts to who's allowed to get free tickets to these shows, even like, you know, at VIP, sort of have context, even, even have contact with the band. I am not within that hierarchy in LA. There's way too many other people. But in New York... Not because Maddie is not the most loved. She's just not like, she's just not the most powerful person in the music industry. I'm also just like, I didn't give birth to any of the members of the band. Yeah. Nor am I related to any members of the band, nor am I married to any members of the band. And so like those people, I fall just shy of that. Yes. And I love, I love I love your BFF in law um, and and the band, but I'm not paying money to go see them live. Mm-hmm. So I haven't actually seen them play live in like five years. And so and their show is like really evolved a ton. So it was a very cool sort of just like flew into New York, met up on met up on a subway. Like, oh, I have to take this subway here and you have to take this subway here and we'll both get off at the same stop and like go get the best ramen in Brooklyn. It was a very, it was a very, uh, it was just, it was very Sex in the City season five. Yeah, I was about to say it was Although I, I don't think Carrie Bradshaw has ever taken a subway. No. Which is insane because it's so easy. I love public transit. Mm. All that to say, my, my, I'm, I think my like concert experience has been fully, fully, fully ruined because I just spent the entire time, like, I got full VIP treatment, like, backstage pass, like, go up to the merch table and tell them exactly what you want, and you don't have to pay for anything. It was like, uh, oh, VIP section, which one do you want to be in? Why don't you, we can bounce around in between VIP sections. <laughs> you, do you not care what's going on? Go backstage, hang out in the green room. Like, it was like that level. It was, they gave you it was a very- lanyard. Oh, I got a lanyard. I got a lanyard that I had to show, and it had three A's on it, which I'm assuming is like like triple A. Uh huh. She it's got like, it. I got I. That's a like plus plus. A plus plus. That was very very cool. But I think my like true lonely 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 girl moment of that experience of the week was after the show, where all of the um. This was sort of like a mini high school reunion. And all of the friends that we had in high school who had moved out to New York, basically they had all stayed in touch and all of them came to the concert. And these are people I haven't seen in like probably 10 years. Yeah, like 10 years. And it was terrifying and weird. It was like, it was like very nice and cool, but I felt very like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm like a high schooler again. And like that girl was in my English class and nobody, 
nobody knew nobody who I was. remembers who I am nobody nobody remembered me and they were all like oh my god Maddie it's so good to see you like I'm like a full like oh my gosh like I'm I'm like the, I'm such a brat like I, like I'm I'm such a piece of shit like all of these people are so lovely and nice and absolutely remembered who I was and like absolutely were happy and excited to see me birthday was forgotten until like the very last minute where I was explaining to someone why I was even here in the first place and BFF was like oh right you had a birthday oh my gosh I forgot about that and one of the girlfriends of one of our high school friends was like just reached into her bag like and pulled out a birthday candle and she's like I always have one of these on hand and so they like shoved it into like a pile of tater tots (laughs) And like saying me happy birthday at like probably like four o'clock in the morning. Oh. Um, and it was really, really, really sweet. And that was like, I, I don't even know if that's a lonely girl moment, but it did feel very like, it was very, it was very sweet. Oh it was raining gosh. in New York. It was, it, it was just, I don't know. It was very, um, like VIP high school reunion girl has yeah. a candle in her purse. It did very like, it was also raining. I, th- I know this is very lonely girl okay so now this now now on to you for your lonely girl um okay. moment of the thank week you. thank you um so another parallel and parallel so y'all I went to a concert um uh wait I Rebecca went... who who which which concert so who, y'all who was... I went to this little concert that no one wanted a ticket to they like had to pay me to go it's like a good like it was a good friend like you showed up yeah i showed up i support um i do not pay to go see my friends (laughs) just like maddie sorry no um so uh i went to go see taylor swift last week oh my god i went to the eras tour i went to the eras tour maddie so I was sending Maddie so many videos from it. Do you have like a word to describe? Because I'm a little nervous to describe my experience at the Taylor Swift concert. I feel like it was sort of like, like, um, like glitter feral. Glitter feral. You know, like glitter feral, like disco feral. Disco feral. You know, feral. like, f- like, like in- insane, but like sparkly. Yeah. So the lead up to the tour like a manic episode personified yeah so y'all i have high anxiety and everyone was like get ready get ready for crazy get ready for and they were like the getting there is going to be terrible and crazy leaving but it was almost like people like i remember my beautiful friend maggie i was like maggie i'm so stressed getting to the concert leaving the concert can you come and pick me up Maggie was like, I will, but don't ask me to do that. Don't make me. So I said, okay, but stay near your phone. And, um, but Maggie just kept going, Rebecca, it's Taylor Swift. It's all going to be worth it. And I was like, okay, but y'all, okay, let's all hold hands. Holding hands. Mm, Yes, hold hands. Um, So I am not, I wouldn't say I'm a Swifty. I would say I'm someone who knows the words to a lot of songs but um so there's this great video did i send you this video that like went not super viral but it caught mary's reaction to i did send it to you so there is a video of taylor swift leaving the concert and waving goodbye to everyone in my 
my sister. You catch her, and she's just got Hail, this and Hail, Hail Mary. Mary. Just looking around, just being like, what? What? And she's watching everyone else watch Taylor Swift, just experiencing that. And that was my experience as well. And but here's the real. So when you have like when you're surrounded by people having in a religious experience, but you're not feeling it was like being at a mega church, but I wasn't going through this emotional experience. And so that was very isolating. So what I did is I disassociated. And do you know what I did? I did something that did you do? I would not. I I played pretend. Ooh, so I pretended. I just pretended I was Taylor Swift, and this was my concert. (laughs) So, so Lizzie, Lizzie was like my best friend Annie's little sister. She's like Rebecca was like dancing and really getting into it. I was like, (laughs) yes. But if you ask me what happened at the concert, I'll go. Oh no, because I just you're like everybody loved me. I, I did just, such a good job. I did my own concert. I don't know Do you know guys what... remember when I jumped off the stage <laughs> into a pool of water? Do you guys remember my concert? So anyways, I feel like that's very lonely, girl. It's very like little just, kid. So lonely, girl. Just like, like, like being on the side, just like this is... Like, I'm in I'm my so, own little world. I am so like... um, Like for lack of a better word, like detrimentally bored... And so I need to make this experience about worth me. it. I, no, I need like listen. Like no one else is going to be, no one else is going to be put off by or, or put out by my own um, disassociating, my own imaginative compensation. No, oh, because it so, just looked like I was having the best time. But really, yeah. I don't know what happened. So, um, tell me your favorite part of the concert. I know you have at least one favorite part. Well, okay, I have a favorite part online, but I didn't I'll tell you very... I'll tell you the favorite part of my concert. Um <laughs> there was one <laughs> point I went, ah, and everyone went, ah. No. Um <laughs> I think my favorite part was I this is cliche, but love story. Just because Aww. just because like it is such a like seminal song and being able to like jump up and down and just scream love story oh by the way i got twenty-two thousand steps that day and i think a couple thousand were just from jumping up and down at my concert yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay like i mean you're putting in work thank you my favorite part of my concert that I went to was like while Bestie was singing a song that they've uh, that's been out for probably like probably like six or seven years now, mm-hmm. um, and they forgot the words to this song on stage, and it was so it was so funny. It was like it was <laughs> me and uh, our high school friend just sort of looked at one another, and we're like, they gonna address that? Did they nope. just kind okay. of just go? Blah, 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 they, blah. they they said one lyric too soon and then had mm-hmm. to repeat it. Mm. And it was it was you know it was just so nice to know that um, they're just like us. You know, people they're just stars are just like us. Yeah, they're like just like us. And I think that's really beautiful. Um, and, and it's think- it's hard to see. <laughs> it's it's hard to like I don't know really humble be able to like really see these people for who they are and it's just really nice when um they humble themselves for you yeah 
And Maddie, speaking of people humbling themselves for you. Oh. Oh, I think it's time to talk about a story of true humanity, um, Tuluwa, and um, and magic. Rebecca, Rebecca. Yes. As you wish. Oh, Maddie, that was so good. Okay, so um, today, no, and I really mean it. Um, yeah. Today, y'all, we're going to be talking about the Princess Bride. The Princess Bride. And when I pitched it, I don't know if Maddie immediately responded, but then the next time we were on the phone, she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're obviously yeah. talking about the Princess Bride. And so first, I just kind of like want to break down. If y'all haven't seen the Princess Bride, I'm guessing you never went on like a sleeper, slumber like party. Like, stop the podcast right now and watch mm-hmm. it. It is such an easy, quick watch, and it is, like, yes. kind of necessary. I feel like it's one of those things where if you haven't seen it, you will watch it, and you'll be like, oh, that's why people say that. Yeah. Oh, that's where that's from. It's like the mean girl of fairy tales. Exactly. So- no, it literally is the mean girl of fairy tales. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. Patton. Write that so down. I'm still so- going to read the little bio. A fairy tale adventure about a beautiful young woman and her true love. He must find her after a long separation and save her, and they must battle the evils of a mythical kingdom of Florence be reunited with each other. And based on the William Goldman novel, The Princess Bride, which earned its loyal audience. Okay, cool. So I'm going to talk about The Princess Bride. I'm holding my coffee. So, yes. uh, Rebecca. like always, has done a considerable amount of research, um, an incredible amount of research. Yes. um, And I have not done as much research. That's okay. And I, you know, this is, I feel like we should have a moment in every podcast where you do so much research and I don't. I think we should have like a little song, like, it's time for Rebecca to share. Ah! Because I mean, it is it is a moment that's worthy of celebration every time. I think the thing that is the most important thing that Rebecca did, so we both obviously watched the film. Obviously. Uh, we actually watched the film together. Famously. It was a very fun experience, famously. And I listened to the Rob Reiner read an audiobook of the abridged verse. Rebecca read the William Goldman. Goldman. Mm-hmm. Goldman book and also listened to Carrie Elway's mm-hmm. book on the making of the princess bride and Perfect. then i also read the introduction to the 30th anniversary edition the introduction to the 25th anniversary edition and then i read the princess bride as well did you also listen to a little bit of the rob reiner version i listened to the whole thing <laughs> So essentially, <laughs> it's time for Rebecca to share. Yay! Yay! Okay, so I think as we've all famously probably watched the behind-the-scenes features after the VHS coffee as a child every single time. Um, right, of course. <laughs> my deep love of um, of film and everything is behind-the-scenes features on VHS and director's commentary, which is where Maddie and I's interest um, famously kind of divulged because I want to know everything that ever happened and she doesn't want the magic of the filmmaking ruined so I think it's I used to really love that and then when I started making films I'm like I can't watch this no. like I need to, I this it's already ruined for me in so many ways like I I I have to just be able to guess no it's okay 
Um, I can't so, know. Anyways, so William Goldman had two daughters. And at one point, one of them says, uh, he's like, what should I write about? And one says, make one about a princess. And then the other girl says, write one about a bride. And then he literally just had like the princess bride. And then he just took it to town. So the whole concept of the princess bride, we all know about the film. And one important detail that we don't get from the book, which is is just William Goldman, honestly, it's not necessary, but it's him tap dancing on the fireplace. Is yeah. My favorite thing about William Goldman is how he'll put in things that no one else asked for. And um, so he's claiming just dead face, st- like straight face saying this is, he is abridging a former classic. So he claims that he is abridging the classic, The Princess Bride, um, a Morgan Stern's classic tale of the true love and high adventure. And then in the book, he writes about how on when he was 10, his father read him The Princess Bride. And then as an adult, he gives his son, which fun fact, he doesn't have a son. This is all in William Goldman universe. But he gifts his son the book, The Princess Bride, but he's never actually read it. William Goldman claims his father read it to him. His son is like, I can't finish this book. Um, And he picks it up. He goes, pourquoi? And it's because his father, without him even knowing, had been cutting through all the boring bits. And only, yeah, only read like the really exciting part. Yes. And like, or he'll like, go, this is the story. This is the story. And then there's like <laughs> this great bit about how he's like, well, um, uh, what is it? He's like, Morgan Stein was trying to make a point about the over, like uh, the wealth of the nobility. So he writes 20 pages on what she packed, 30 pages on what she unpacked what was put in the luggage. And so he will write out a description of what he cut out and how boring it was. And that's one thing that you don't get in anything besides the book is once again, William Goldman tap dancing on the fireplace and being so clever and being like, ha, 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 look at all these things I cut out. I have a confession to make. What? I did not realize that the sun was not real. No, I, it's, when I, I didn't realize that, I was like, I thought that was, I thought he was adapting. Like I'm, I'm actually now having my mind blown like IRL mm-hmm. because when I listened to the abridged version, I was just like, all right, cool. So yep. there was this old ass book and he abridged it, but like, that's a whole lie. It's all a lie. And he talks about in the 25th anniversary edition, he talks about how he almost cheated on his wife who is a therapist, who is now his ex-wife, and he has a son who's really boring. And I, when I first read it in high school, I was so confused. And William Goldman knows that. And he released it, I think, in the 70s before Google. So anyways, the book, you if you love the story of The Princess Bride, you absolutely don't have to read the book. Rob Reiner does an amazing abridgment of it. It's and really, really good. And it does like add something to it, it, adds, it adds to the movie. Yes. But I have to say, as someone who I think William Goldman and I, I was texting Maddie, I think are very similar. If you've ever famously received an email from me, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. don't my emails kind of read like a William Goldman like, novel? They read like they read like a newsletter. <laughs> like I'm getting 
I'm getting a newsletter from Rebecca with there's like hyperlinks. There's yes. tangents. There's like there's sort of a asterisk at the bottom. What's that thing at the bottom of the footnotes? Footnotes. footnotes. <laughs> I get you get footnotes. You get all of this. And another thing is like he'll cut into the middle of the Princess Bride while he's writing it and talk about how his editor is so mad at him and he thinks it's a bad idea. And then an expert on the Morgenstein's book. Uh, at Columbia has told him what a terrible job he did, but he doesn't care. Like there's so many things happening inside of like the story of Wesley and Buttercup saving the day. It's, it's so, it's almost like, honestly, William Goldman is too clever for his own good. And he knows that. And so he he wrote his own screenplay and he cut it all out. (laughs) Like, (laughs) exactly. Okay. So, yes. So that is, that is the book. And then how does the book get into Rob Reiner's hands? You ask? Great question. Mm -hmm. So, um, William Goldman, as a lot of my favorite writers, um, is not content just writing one kind of medium. So when he was writing novels, he decided to do a book about the season called The Season, uh, but the season of um, of a Broadway year. He decides oh. to write about all the productions going on. And um, is this one like of in the people- real life or is he creating? In real life. Okay. So okay. he was interviewing He's like a journalist. People. Yeah, yeah, which I love. He was interviewing people who were a part of the season, which one of them was Rob Reiner's father, who had a show on Broadway. And so William Goldman was like, hi, I'm about to release this book, uh, The Princess Bride. I don't know if you'd like to adapt it, but here you go. So he sent it to Rob Reiner's dad. And Rob Reiner's dad was like, well, Rob Reiner, you're his number one fan. We don't even know if the dad read it, but he gave it to Rob Reiner as a little little baby Rob Reiner, probably Aww. when he still had hair. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is the best book in the entire world. Yeah. I love it so much. I love it. So then he does Happy, happy Days or something. So anyways, Rob Reiner then uh, has his own career in Hollywood. He does Spinal Tap. And after Spinal Tap, the studios were like, oh my gosh, Rob Reiner. Blink check, blink check, blink check, blink check. check. Literally, we're saying blink check. And they're like, what do you want to make? What do you want to make? Anything for you, Rob Reiner. And he goes, "Um, well, my favorite book ever is The Princess Bride. And I want to make The Princess Bride. And then literally the studio head goes, anything but that. Because that screenplay had been like on the list of like, best that have not been made because people were saying it was unadaptable and so literally William Goldman like a studio's like you know what it's okay Billy we're gonna make it we believe in you next day studio closes down like no my gosh William Goldman we're totally gonna make it I love you so much uh next day the guy who was gonna make it the president murdered yeah (laughs) he gets he gets fired the next president yeah and then the next president is like oh my gosh I can't make anything that this guy was gonna make because then I won't get the credit so no, that's so William. Isn't that that's exactly what's happening in the studio system right now? That's yes. why these businesses like Netflix. Listen, so, there's a writer's strike. I don't want to talk about it. It's gonna no. stress me out. But like, don't make me sing. I, don't make me sing. I get it. And, mm-hmm. and also knowing like what a miracle it is that the Princess Bride ever even got made is like yes. kind of incredible. Yeah. So that's so that's like the history and William Goldman has said it's his favorite thing he ever wrote and so his poor little heart couldn't do it anymore. 
But somehow Rob Reiner got a meeting with William Goldman and William Goldman, after talking to Rob after a little bit, was like, oh my gosh, like you see it. You see the movie. I'm so excited. And Rob Reiner still says it's the highlight of his career is like getting William Goldman's blessing to make The Princess Bride. Honestly, it shows. It shows. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, wow. See, this is the fun so part the about of the history. you doing the research and me not doing the research because I get to be like, wow, that's amazing. I had Isn't it? no idea. I had no idea. No. It makes me – now I am going to read the entire version because I just listened to the Rob Reiner abridged version, but like I need to, yeah. I need to read the full version now. And, and, and the, I learned all that from the Carrie Elwes um it's not even – I don't want to call it a Carrie Elwes biography. I almost want to call it like the Carrie Elwes written history of, of the making of The Princess Bride. I think he's more doing like a historical like how this came to be. Um, because Elwes also like we don't deserve Carrie Elwes. Like I want him to get like a Brendan Fraser kind of treatment. A he's a um, – he's pretty freaking smart. <laughs> The pretty smart guy. Uh, he's pretty freaking cool and pretty freaking sexy. <laughs> he's pretty funny too. <laughs> okay. Um, um, all thanks, Cap. Um, yeah, and that was a performance from my eight-month-old cat, Captain Name Captain Cap- Captain S- Anthony Turner. <laughs> I wonder if we're gonna keep that in. Um, <laughs> so, um. Anyways, no, but the Carrie Elwes book, honestly, it's like Carrie Elwes is like, so this and this. And then uh, different chapters are written by different people like Rob Wright. Robin writes a chapter. And then what I love about Rob Reiner is he'll go, Rob Reiner. So I wasn't very (laughs) sure. (laughs) Immediately, he'll introduce himself very calmly. And Carrie will be like, and Rob didn't know what was going to happen. Rob so Reiner. I was so I I didn't know what was gonna happen. And that's you listen to the Rob Reiner. Like Rob Reiner reads the audiobook. Oh, Rob Reiner reads so everybody for the most part, Mandy Patinkin doesn't read his chapters, but I would say like seven like Billy Crystal reads his chapters, oh. but you can tell on an iPhone in his car. Everybody else went into a studio to read theirs. And he was and, like on uh, speakerphone. He was doing like a Billy Crystal. Cars. They were like, you know what? We'll take anything Billy feels yeah. like doing for the audiobook. Um, but everyone else went into a studio. So anyways, all that to say, and I just want to end it on this very sweet note, is you kind of think when someone gets famous, uh, Carrie was 24 when it happened, and people are often quite bitter towards their like star making roles so young he's just a baby he's just a little baby and he's just a tiny boy he's just so um pants (laughs) he's like i can't even believe i can grow this mustache (laughs) i guess i'm pretty big (laughs) i guess i'm pretty big and strong (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if we leave no we're leaving this in we're absolutely leaving this we in. can't leave it in it's so if i was listening i would turn it off and so anyways what's sweet is i was wondering if carrie was going to be kind of like resentful towards it and if this was a cash grab so that's why i never initially 
listen to it because I was like, oh, cash grab. The yeah. way he speaks about this movie with so much love and he's like, all of us know on our tombstone, like Mandy Patinkin, Robin Wright, Rob Reiner, um, Billy, Billy Crystal, Crystal all of the them Giant. say, everybody says, I know on my tombstone, Princess Bride is going to be at the top and that makes me so happy. Yeah. And everybody says that and honestly, you don't really hear that. Most people are kind of bitter towards like, Especially someone like Carrie Elvis, who like that is kind of like, and and he's lists off. He's like, I've been in Oscar nominated things, and I've been in over a hundred. Like he's worked on amazing things, but he's like, I know I will only, in some ways, be Wesley, and yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. And the fact that you get all of these stars not being bitter towards their big star making performance, like Mandy, when he saw oh. the Princess Bride for the first time, he said he cried to his wife. Because he said, I never thought I would be able to be a part of something like this. And it is so wonderful. I didn't even know to hope for to be a part of something so amazing. So I don't know if you know this, but Mandy Patinkin is on TikTok. Yeah, no, I know. You need more Mandy content. Uh, We will include that in in some extracurriculars. Follow us on Instagram maybe subscribe to the newsletter it's gonna happen i'm putting it out there now so now we have to do it okay um but mandy patinkin has a tiktok and it's him and his wife just like building shelves together it's honestly like one of the most like i have it saved i have a very specific video like saved on my phone like downloaded on my phone because it's so beautiful and it's so wholesome, and I love both of them so much, and I love Mandy Patinkin so much. And, he, and Mandy Patinkin is not my dad. We'll Carrie, get to that. We'll get, we'll get to that. But he, he's teaser. He's, but, spoiler. Teaser. Keep watching. So, so, and okay, and also, no one. Mandy does not get enough flowers really for how doesn't. hot he is. Oh my and, oh, and one of my favorite things about the Carrie thing, and I promise we're about to go into it, but he's like. Do you know who was great? This person that carried a bucket. And I know that it has all these amazing performances where everyone gets so much credit. But you know what? That person carrying a bucket, he had to carry a bucket so many times. And that was really, really got great. That was really so heavy. <laughs> but he gives like a shout out to like the guy who plays um the albino. Like oh, yeah. he and he and he also talks about how Robin like doesn't give enough credit for like She's not funny in the movie, but he's like, it is so hard to be the straight man. And she didn't get to do any of the fun stuff, but she plays like this sincerity and this innocence and this beauty so well. And also, wait, I'm sorry. I just have to tell this other one. The final scene, the final scene that they shot was the scene where they kissed on the horse at the final scene. And then they did it once. And um, Rob and yeah, Rob Reiner was like, print it. Like, it's great. Check the and gate. Then, then, but then <laughs> Carrie was like, I don't know. Can we film it again? And, and Robin's like, yeah, that's okay. So oh then they kiss God. again. Oh and God. then they get to the end because they had a crush on each other. And Robin's like, I don't know if we got it, Rob. Can, can, can we film that again? And then after like six or seven times, Rob um, – and also he was saying that neither one of them wanted this beautiful experience to end because they just – like this whole shoot was so magical oh and no one wanted it to stop. Oh but then also um, Carrie and Robin just like didn't want to stop kissing. I kisses. love that. I love that so much. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I also need to send you a picture right now of what um, my little son looks like. Just... I can't believe I did that. Because I'm pretty big and small. Uh, I guess there's a lot you could kind of say about me. One of those. Uh, where's the six finger man? <laughs> Where's that? that crazy guy i i i hope i don't have to fight him and do a backflip nobody flows me into the pit of despair i i hope i don't have to give robin a will kiss, <laughs> a little kiss. maybe we do a no oh. will kiss robin maybe no, maybe we do a will. Uh, maybe we do will kiss like six or seven more times. Okay. I hope and this see. doesn't become a classic. Cap, what are you doing? Cap, this is my podcast. Get off of my podcast. So let's talk about uh, our introductions to our personal connection to the Princess Bride, yeah. because it is a, a, a uniquely important aspect of the DNA of who we are. Yes, to a certain degree. Yes. So. I had the VHS, famously, as a little child. Famously. And I just think it was kind of so a part, the, the VHS was so a part of my childhood, but it was one of those movies where my dad was like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 The Princess Bride. And my mom was like, oh, The Princess Bride. And they're not film people like Chris, um, Maddie's mother is, but weirdly, they've got good taste. They'll be like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. And so The Princess Bride was always kind of there, but I was older, I think, when I was able to, like, watch and get it. But my introduction – so the introduction to the book is a little bit more interesting because it's me being a little shit. So um, I went to a Christian high school, and I don't think they were always taking our education seriously. So – What? My teacher – What? (laughs) They didn't take my education very seriously. So they said – I have a list of questions for you. Choose a British author, and then you just have to fill out this form according to it. I don't know what the questions were, except I highlighted in this book every time a new character was introduced. So I think, like, that was maybe them trying to make sure we read it. But here's the thing. William Goldman is not British, but I was at Books A Million, and I was like, I have to choose a British author. I just picked this up, and I was like, Okay, and I didn't check to see if he was British, and then I was, like, halfway through, and then I just told my English teacher, kind of, like, a little shit. I was, like, so I'm doing this, and she's, like, I said British author, and I was, like, well, he's not, but I'm doing it anyways, and she's, like, did you check, yeah. and I was, like, no, Um, and then, <laughs> and then I just did it because I wanted to, and yeah, that's, that's kind of it. But that was my introduction to the book, which just like Maddie, you were very confused on the abridgment. Imagine me, yeah, with less. Oh my god, with less Googleable knowledge. Where for the first thirty pages, he's like, maybe I cheated on my wife. She was a therapist and a bitch. We're not married anymore. I don't like my and son. Like, I don't like him one bit. And I was like, when do he we doesn't start- have a son? When does he start talking <laughs> about the Princess Bride? Like I'm. <laughs> Where's Wesley? Where's Wesley? And then he begins. And then once he starts his little asterisks, I was fine. But y'all, when I tell you, Maddie. Um, it is sort of like infinite jest, but like like fantasy. No. It's like fantasy infinite jest. Okay. Let me show you. So here's the book. This is a long okay. ass book. It's like, it's almost 500 pages. This is how much 
has nothing to do with the storyline of the Princess Bride that I thought was coming. I was wow. so confused for so long <laughs> that I stuck through. Um, so anyways, that's out of you. Thank you. That's my introduction to the Princess Bride. Maddie, what was yours? So mine is a little bit less shitty. Um, and also like, I don't even know if I have the words to like kind of put to pen and put to mm, like how significant and kind of like a part of who I am, the princess bride is like literally. So my, my mother, cause this season of the podcast is <laughs> dedicated to my mother. That's all we're doing is we're covering things that Chris would want. Um, she doesn't know or care, but uh, no, she probably does care. But my mom, like, uh, well, encountered the Princess Bride as a film when it came out. Uh, do you know the date that it came out? It's like 1980 something. It's 87. Okay, perfect. Thank goodness. So 1987, my mom was like kind of freshly out of high school in her early 20s and was kind of just at a place in her life where nothing made sense. She didn't, it, it was just like her early 20s were very, very, very difficult for her. Like, like a lot of us. And she watched The Princess Bride when it came out in theaters and was just so struck by it. She'd never seen anything like it before. Like it immediately spoke to her in a way that that nothing else had and this is this is a woman who um like was part of like dungeons and dragons like role-playing groups in like the 80s like she like a tent she was like an efficient not an efficient but she was like a flower girl at like a dungeons and dragons themed wedding like in a forest somewhere <laughs> like this is this is the type of person my mom is and then also kind of having this very like deep sense of irony and absurdity and a real sort of love for just the mixture of those two things was like heaven on earth for her and the princess bride became a real like comfort film for her when she was younger and she continued to like you know watch it as time went on of course this was before the age of readily accessible VHS players where you could just kind of like watch anything and everything at a moment's notice. But one thing that she always told me is she watched The Princess Bride a lot when she was pregnant with me. Mm. And Buttercup was definitely in the list of names that I could have potentially been named. I don't for know sure. why there weren't more kids named Buttercup. Also, I mean, in this list was also like Onwen from Lord of the Rings. And my dad put a stop to that. He was like, absolutely not. With that's our kids not being named Buttercup, our kids not being named Onwin. But she just like watched a Princess Bride and she was like, I hope I have a daughter that looks like Buttercup. Because my dad looks so much like Wesley. Mm -hmm. She was like, Oh, like I would love to have a, a a beautiful daughter like Buttercup. And that was something that she just like a thought that she held in her heart and her mind and I always thought that was so sweet and honestly like I have many lovely qualities I'm no in no way shape or form comparable to Robin Wright but especially when I was younger and had like this like kind of beautiful mane of like blonde golden hair that would be the the actor that I was compared to the most people would be like you look like you look like oh like who is it I'm like the Princess Bride. And they're like, oh my gosh, yes. You look just like the Princess Bride. I would get that all the time Chris. as a kid. Chris. 
I know. I, I know. And so then moving into like when I was conscious, famously, famously, my dad passed away when I was four years old. It's very sad. But I have, there's a, a, the most like potent memories of my childhood are of like right after he passed away on the house that we lived in. We used to call it the magic house and kind of like us sort of my mom, my brother and I kind of grieving and surviving and kind of just having this very sort of like soft, sad, insular time in the magic house. And one thing we would do all the time, like I want to say probably minimum once a week is watch The Princess Bride. My mom loved The Princess Bride. It was such a comforting film to her. It was a film I knew I could always, like if I just wanted to watch a movie, I'd be like, what if we watched The Princess Bride? She'd be like, okay, all right, we'll throw it on. And I realized later that one of the big reasons behind that is because my dad looked so much like Wesley. And there's so there's such like a spirit of of him and the character of Wesley. And I think like to a certain degree, my like child brain always associated my dad with Wesley because they just looked so they looked so similar. And my my dad was, I think, like 30. My dad was 32 when he passed away. So he was still very like young and handsome. And in my brain, like (laughs) Carrie Elwes is my dad. Like I don't I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. He's always been my dad, and if I ever meet him, I'll be sure to immediately share that information with him. I'm sure he'll be very not freaked out at all, even a little bit. But the humor of that film, like everything that was like baked into the function of our home and how we how we joked with one another and how we sort of dealt with conflict and frustration had lines from the princess bride like baked in like i can't tell you how many times i would leave the house to go do something and my mom would shout have fun storming the castle Mm -hmm. or or it it was just like it was like second nature it's like it's a vocabulary that is so (laughs) baked into who i am i when we were watching the movie together you and i i literally like i said i could sing this film because I know like the music cues. There was a second where I was watching it with the sound off because I had to go into the kitchen and like do something where everyone was, I didn't want to disturb everyone in the downstairs area. And I like didn't even need the sound on because I just knew it. Mm -hmm. I just like, it's so, it's such a core part of who I am. It's so important to me. (laughs) It's not even that important. It's just sort of like there. It's one of those things where it's just there. I no, I get what you're saying though. Is it's just yeah. like you can't say if it's like good or bad. It's just like true and it's and I mean good for yeah. you. It's it's in a fantastic film and also while we were oh. watching it, I accident I wanted to watch The Stuntman because I had listened to that Carrie Elwes book. I wanted to watch yes. The Stuntman do the extra spin. So The Stuntman does one flip for Inigo and then Carrie had asked him to do two two flips on the pipe for him so I missed it so I wanted to go back and watch it literally y'all we were watching it together Maddie and I on some screen share I messed up the whole thing 
we ended up having to rewind the movie and get back up to like 24 minutes into the film. And neither yeah. one of us were that mad. We were like, we were just like, okay, okay I guess we're starting. Guess like, we'll- let's just rewatch this first 20 like, minutes because we're like, why not? What else are we going to? And it's also like, and, and I wasn't, <laughs> I was fine with just watching the first 20 minutes again because the whole, and also, um, we, we can get into this later, but it just, it flies by. If you told me The Princess Bride was 40 minutes long, I would go, great, I believe you. Yeah. I, it yes. feels so short. But also, also, if you told me it was two and a half hours, I would be like, I guess it is. You said it was a mini-series. Like, I would go, yeah. I would be like, I think it might be. Yeah. I also, when you mentioned, this is another Chris fact, when you mentioned the fight scene, I tried really hard to get photo evidence of it she did not have it available she was like that is well in the recesses of uh, a, a bin somewhere but my mom when she was in college this is before she even married my dad this is how much she loved the princess bride for a theater class one of their assignments was to kind of like do blocking for an action scene in a film and so she chose that fight scene in the Princess Bride, the sword fight scene Which on the clips, famously the cl- one of the hardest fight scenes. And then, she, and she asked, she got my cousin Rachel, who is now an art teacher, to draw the storyboards for her. So she like she paid my cousin Rachel to do the storyboards for her of like the blocking and everything. And I've seen it; I have flipped through the pages of it a long, long time ago. All that to say, Princess Bride very important to me. But also, like, one of the things that I don't – I sometimes when things are important to me, I feel very precious about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, people have to interpret it in exactly the way that I do. They don't get it. Where I'm like, any way that you want to see the Princess Bride, not see the Princess Bride, quote the Princess Bride, I'm like, yes. The Princess Bride is for everyone. Mm-hmm. It is for every single person on this planet. And however they interact with it is perfect and valid. Yeah. And I think and I think the history of it being something that came so much, one through William Goldman, who is a genius, and one through Rob Reiner, and both of it who came through. A genius. Who is a genius. It came through their hearts like so purely. And then also both of them acknowledge like it is a miracle like they went through 4000 girls to try to find Buttercup like they could not find her like they we've told this story on the podcast before but tell it again um wait about Meg Ryan well Meg Ryan was one of the girls yes. who was called in for um Buttercup and uh Rob Reiner says if we were ca- Buttercup is supposed to be the most beautiful girl in the world if we were casting yeah. the most adorable girl in the world it would be Meg Ryan who um, famously we talk about when Harry met Sally at the end of season one of Lonely Girls. But um, Robin Wright like kind of walked in. Mm-hmm. Like she, it wasn't even she walked in. It was like he was at a house of, of a director friend and she was like visiting. I haven't heard that. I heard a different oh. story. Oh, okay. But then you probably heard the right story. I don't know. The Robin Wright story. Well, what, but it's basically like they saw her and they were like, that's Buttercup. Well, so like, without a doubt, that's Buttercup. So the story I heard in the book was that she was actually of in the cast. She was a photo on the casting director's wall 
um, she was in this soap opera, Robin Wright was, and they made her do an extra year on her contract of the soap opera to go and make Princess Bride. But they were looking at British girls for the most part. And then it turns out Robin Wright's, I think, stepfather or father was British. So that's why she could do a perfect British accent. Um, I also like did not realize she wasn't British. I know. So it's a perfect British. She there looks, are like some moments where she says something where I'm like, but also what's so funny though is she looks so all American. She really does. She looks so all American. So it's just, anyways, all that to say, they'll say it. They say it in a million different ways, but like, if it was not the exact cast at the right moment with the right people, they're like, we can't believe we found Carrie. We can't believe we found Buttercup. Andre, this was right before Wallace his health. Sean. Yeah. And and Andre, his health was about to get really bad. And so, but, and then everybody like says. The last. Yeah. And, and also Andre says like whenever he was in another city and he was um, traveling, he would go to movie theaters and sit in the back of the theater and watch The Princess Bride if it was ever on. Why does that make me want to cry? <laughs> So anyway, that makes me want to like sob. No, That's so beautiful. and it was like he says, like it's one of the happiest experiences of his life. Oh. So famously, um, Maddie, Rebecca, this is this is known as the Lonely, Lonely Girl, Girl Podcast. Podcast. Oh, oh, Let's talk about the Lonely Girls and the Princess Bride. Should we just start with like Wesley? I think Wesley is. Here's the thing. I don't think Buttercup is a lonely girl. I mean, here's the thing. Okay. Buttercup is like, she says, I'm actually, so the freshest thing in my mind right now is the book. Mm-hmm. And to me, although Robin Wright, perfect casting, I do think there was not a ton, like Buttercup in the book is so much funnier and has, and so much more dynamic and has so much more agency that I feel like I don't. I can't I can't think of Buttercup as a character through the lens of just the film. It's like it's just the book for me. That's Buttercup. Okay, I actually am going to read something to you. So, okay, perfect. We were going to talk about this with like differences with books and film, but we're talking about Buttercup. So, in the movie, Buttercup decides to go with Humperdinck outside of the fire swamps. Outside of the fire swamps. Buttercup goes with Humperdinck because if Wesley was to die, oh, that is she worse goes, than do death. You promise, do you promise not to harm him? Mm-hmm. Do you promise not to harm him? And he goes, on my life, I'm not going to harm him. I won't harm him. I'm not going to do a thing, baby. <laughs> they don't call me Humperdinck for nothing. And and she agrees to go with Humperdinck mm-hmm. so she can so, – so Wesley so, can live. So she does it as a sacrifice. But in the book yeah. and also in the Rob Reiner audiobook thing, and so – She's agreeing to go with Humperdinck. She's like, great, that's a promise. I'm going to go. And this is where it changes quite a bit from the film. The truth, said Wesley, is that you would rather live with your prince than die with your love. I would rather live than die, I admit it. We are talking of love, madam. There was a long pause, then Buttercup said it. I can live without love. Oh, very lonely girl. And But also- that's quite- that's quite different than the – that's very different than the film Absolutely. though, right? One of my favorite things that is in the book that I have just like the – and I and I, when I say the book, just so everybody knows, I mean the abridged Rob Reiner audio. audiobook. And so this is an abridged version 
of a fictionally abridged novel. Yes, exactly. All that to say, (laughs) one of the things that I really love in the novel is they take bit of time kind of discussing Wesley and Buttercup's love story and kind of like how they were before and how they got together and even like their their sort of love confession they don't really they do kind of a love confession but it's more like a narrator being like and then she realized that he had always been saying as you wish (laughs) I'm sorry and that meant He loved her. So in the book, what happens is Count Rugen and his wife, who is a character that I don't recall in the film, but I don't think she's that necessary. So Count Rugen and his wife. She's only um, in that scene. She's only in that scene, but she is kind of instrumental to Wesley and Buttercup getting together. Count Rugen and his wife, they, they come upon this sheep farmer sheep farmer right cow 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 oh gosh cow farmer so like buttercup is a cow farmer's daughter wesley is a cow hand and the the cows are the best in the land and all they're mostly stopping because buttercup is so beautiful yeah actually so in the full in the william goldman book the cows actually aren't that great they're just using it as an excuse so that's how they all know that it really is all about buttercup because they're like how, wow. how do you make your cow so great? How how do you do it? How do you do it? And they're well, like, we're like, famously got the worst cows ever, but okay. Like our cows kind of suck. They're the worst. And Buttercup, what, what I love about also this part is like, it's noted that Buttercup is kind of, she just has potential. Like she's so beautiful, but it's not even like her full beauty. She's number 20 in the world. At the time. Exactly. <laughs> At the time, she's number 20 in the world. But Count Rugen and his wife stop, and they, like, check out these cows, but it's for the purpose of seeing Buttercup. And Buttercup is, like, I don't know, probably, like, 16 at this point, maybe mm-hmm. 17. And she sees – she's, like, a little confused by this interaction. She doesn't realize that it's the Count, like, scouting hot girls for the king to – for the king's beard, essentially. Mm-hmm. I know it's not explicitly queer-coded, but, like, in my mind, there's no way Prince Humperdinck isn't gay. Buttercup, we get her POV from this perspective. And she sees, she's aware of the way that, like, kind of aware of the way the Count's looking at her. But she's more aware of the way that the Count's wife is looking at Wesley. Mm -hmm. And she's making this connection of, like, this man is desirable to someone very wealthy and very powerful and like a woman and just watching the way that <laughs> just watching the way that this older woman like lustfully looks at her farm boy her farm hand that she likes to just boss around and be a big old bitch to <laughs> like inspires just an episode of absolute like an existential crisis where she realizes, I wish I had. Do you have the? Do you have the moment saved in the book? I don't have it saved, but I can find it. Um, I just, I love. There's like a line where it talks about like she's 
she's loved him for an entire night. <laughs> like Oh, and then every moment she's loved her she's loved him more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me a second. It's just I love I love this sort of like it is like a very young, sort of like intense realization of love. And then in the in the physical book, there's this great point where she's saying but why would the Countess look at him? Like, sure, he had rippling muscles, but what is that? And sure, he had a, a yes. fine head of blonde hair, but what is that? And and what sure, he had perfect teeth and a handsome face, but what is that? But why? Like, but why? But why? And so, like, that's it's part so of her. It's so funny. And it's so sweet. It's so funny. And, there, and, and her, she just sort of, like, loses her mind over the course of an evening. And so she has to, like, go she has to go to his like little cow hand hut and like knock on his door and I guess confess to him that she loves him or she almost doesn't and he oh she does confess to him that she loves him and his immediate response is well now I have to go now I have to leave and she's like oh my gosh you're so you're so embarrassed by the fact that I told you that I love you that you just have to go and he's like no you dumb wench i have to leave because i have to make money so i can marry you and she's like what <laughs> it's just such an insane and such a funny interaction that's completely like glossed over in two seconds in the film and and i think what's funny is that happens often with their romantic moments like at the bottom of the hill this is actually oh. one moment in the film that we get that we don't get in the book where it's like they roll down to the hill now they are reunited and then it's William Goldman speaking and he goes my yeah. wife really complains that <laughs> yeah. I cut off this <laughs> section because you're like yeah 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 I want to I want the little yeah, like, kissies I want, and I want I, the I want, grand I want the reunited, re reunited. Yeah. and in the the book he's like but it's it's pretty boring to hear people just go, oh, my darling, oh, my darling. Yeah. And she goes, like something that would feel, if you and I were one of these people, it yes. would feel very romantic and, and very important. Exactly. But, but he makes a great point. He's like, no, but like to hear other people go like, my darling, my love, my beauty, my my whatever. My, my everlasting. It's actually pretty yeah. boring. And even the final scene of the book also, in the final moment of the film, I think one thing that maybe makes The Princess Bride rewatchable is it ends. Just like your yeah. action, action, action. We're in the bedroom of Prince Humperdinck and all of a sudden it's over. And then the book yeah. ends the same way. And it's like the grandkid in the film. And then in the book also, we all go, every reaction is like, what? That's it? And they're like, yeah, that's the end. Anyway, yeah. da, 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 da. what else is there? Exactly. And so I they love kiss. that. Happy ending. What, Happy what ending. do you want? Whatever. Great kiss. But I think, um, yeah. I think that it's funny because in these stories of true love and romance, we are wanting these big, kissy, passionate moments, and they cut out most of it. And I honestly, I don't miss it. I think there's something really sweet no, to it. I think it's really, it's really, really sweet. It works it's very perfectly. Funny. It, it has like a perfect balance. So all that to say, Buttercup. Oh, sorry. Perhaps is a lonely girl. I think no. That I think Buttercup is a lonely girl because I think there is something a little. There's a in the book they talk about how her horse is named Horse because Buttercup was never really one for imagination. And yeah. I think I don't know. I don't know if mm, I've got to think. I really like Buttercup. I, I, I think, think Buttercup in the film is definitely not a lonely girl no. because I think I think that's one thing that the film is lacking is like 
I feel like all the other characters are really interesting and Mm well-rounded. And I think we kind of, I think we just kind of, we let it slide because Robin Wright is so beautiful that we'll watch her do anything. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I realized what I was missing in the character of Buttercup until I listened to the book. Yeah. Because there is, there are these really like small little moments where it goes into the head of Buttercup and how she's perceiving a certain situation. And you're like, this is, this is funny. Like, that's not what I got from the film. I think that's what it was. It's like, oh, I didn't, all the other characters, I'm like, absolutely, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what this character was giving to me in the film. Buttercup's the only one where I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have realized this about the character if it wasn't Also, though, in the book, I think she is, there are some lines that are funny, but some of them aren't. Um, aren't always very complimentary to her intellect. Like there's at one point no. where she's like, wait, 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 Wesley, I think we're on the edge of something. Uh, uh, are you saying you love me? But I need you to say explicitly because you know words kind of confuse yeah. me. Like, can can you yeah. say it really literally? You know, and then I there's- that she's kind of like a dumb bitch. She's kind of, but like, but like not- She's kind of dumb. She's a little dumb, but we all know famously, I like my people a little dumb. I even- It's th- like Cher from Clueless. Exactly. Like 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 a little but like in in kind of but different like in ways. a mean way like in there's a point yeah. where wesley's like in the book where wesley's like hurry like uh tie humperdinck up once humperdinck gives himself up and she he's like quickly quickly buttercup do it and she doesn't know wesley can't move yet and she's like well couldn't you do it darling because you would do it a lot I better than i could and he's you like, do it so much better than I would. <laughs> yeah, and I totally relate to that because if like if it's like, Rebecca, can can you go pick that up? And I'm like, well, you're like Maddie, like, darling. Could do it so Maddie, much I think I'm just trying to get Maddie to edit some. Literally, she's making a graphic <laughs> for me, and I was like, Maddie, I guess I could do it. But we all know you'd make such a prettier graphic yeah. than I. You know, I do think that's like that is a big thing about Buttercup is like you never really know if she's actually being dumb or if she's just like kind of like oh, a little lazy. Well, I, I mean, and I relate to that because also I understand I wouldn't be able to tie him up as well as Wesley. So I'm like, Wesley, you no, should do it because what if I do it? I do this if you could do it. Yeah, and also I might do it wrong. So like I'm owning that. So anyways, but I guess I can understand why they took out some of Buttercup's less flattering moments. Because though it is funnier, I think it would would maybe it was easier I mean, to kind I, of. But I, maybe I don't, for the time it wouldn't have. I don't think for the time they knew how to like make female characters unflattering mm-hmm. without making them like a villain. Mm-hmm. Like they, and I think that's it's just a product of the time. I think like Rob Reiner does an incredible job with his female characters for the most part. And I think Buttercup in the hands of another director in the late 80s probably would have been even worse. Yeah. Well, also, I I think, I think that's why it's like, oh, everybody should read the book. It's so good. Yeah. Like it's really for Buttercup. It's a big difference. Like, oh, and also I think the other character that it really did that for me for is Fezzik. Fezzik's backstory is really, mm-hmm. really compelling. And I don't think in my brain I realized how conscious he was of his own mental deficiencies. Mm-hmm. And in reality, he wasn't. I mean, he was 
but he was so much more. I think his, his self-confidence impaired his, uh, his intuition, and he was much more intelligent than he even thought he was. Mm-hmm. And I loved, I loved the fleshing out of that backstory. I just think the backstories were so much more fleshed out in and, the book. And we, and also it's Inigo, right? Inigo? I'm just afraid to say. Inigo. Inigo. Like think like Indigo, like indigo. indigo without the D. Inigo. So uh, one yeah. thing about Inigo that we, you do get that backstory. It's just, the, we miss a few moments of um, Goldman like tap dancing. So um, Inigo's yeah. father makes the six finger sword. But something that you missed out on, Maddie is actually this whole other level of like what an artist his father was is that there was actually a skilled swordsman maker in a large city that whenever his job was too hard, he would bring it to Inigo's father and they were best friends. And every single time the father would go, no, no, I cannot make the sword. Do not make me make the sword. And then this, and then the rich man, no. And then he was like, well, all right, I am a man of my word. And since I cannot have it made, I must kill myself. All right. Bye. Bye. And it goes so (laughs) good to see you. Your father's best friend is off to kill himself now. And the father, (laughs) and the father's like, no, 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 don't do it. And this happens like, every year on the dot and so it's just this like i love that i know and so it's just these little book is so good the book is so good so good and it honestly like i feel like it's a perfect companion to the film Mm -hmm. like i don't feel like i missed i'm like oh it's like why we love like video essays yeah we're like yeah, yeah yeah no i love i love the media giant that was gossip girl yes but having just an australian twink yell at me for six hours about the show itself is actually like way more rewarding yes okay so let's say buttercup in the book lonely girl lonely girl how do we feel about buttercup in the film indetermined indetermined because and also i will say that is a great thing about the movie is buttercup is so Mary Sue it's very so make your own adventure is that I think a lot of us have been able to very easily imagine ourselves because Buttercup doesn't do anything and she has Wesley's complete devotion and I think honestly that's kind of what I love to do is just absolutely nothing and I want someone to be so obsessed with me for no reason no reason and I think as children that's what we thought was going to happen to us with love and yeah. uh, that we would just exist and someone's like, I've been slaving away for you. Um, uh, there's literally one part where um, Wesley, he's like, I made sure I had a strong body because I thought you might enjoy looking at my strong body. And you're just oh. like, yes, Wesley, we did. Yeah. No, that's correct. So um, Wesley, good job. But I don't I don't think Wesley's a lonely girl. OK, thoughts? I think Wesley's like a tough girl. Oh, really? Because. I think he's just like the ultimate tough girl because he doesn't like Wesley, like especially was when he's in the zoo of death, aka the pit of despair, which is another thing we'll get to in the difference between the book and the film. Maybe the one change where I'm like, how could you not call it the zoo of death and choose instead to call it the pit of despair? That's insane. The zoo of death is a um, great name. For context the place that Wesley goes into to be tortured by Count Rugen and Prince Humperdinck, but more importantly, Count Rugen, is in the movie called The Pit of Despair. In the book, it's called The Zoo of Death. And it's like five levels of... 
it's five levels of increasingly like dangerous feral animals with which to kill and torture people and then one layer that's completely empty because it's sort of like one day I'll find something worthy enough for this final empty layer of my zoo of death and I love that so much I think it's so perfect and villainous is there anything about the zoo of death that's in the bigger novel that I should know about Um, well mostly is Humperdinck so it's like oh Humperdinck is a great hunter or whatever but there's a great line in the book where he goes um Humperdinck does not let a day pass without killing something and so (laughs) the zoo of death is actually just animals for when he's like in the mood to kill something strong then he's like I'm gonna go into the zoo of death and let's kill something strong today and then if he's like I'm feeling fast today Okay, bring me we'll go to bring me three. this kind of l- animal so I can I can fight something fast. So I can run it. Yeah. yeah. So the zoo of death is actually just to keep animals there. So for Humperdinck to kill when he's in the mood to kill a different kind of animal. So I guess I Humperdinck that. is actually quite different in the film because there is this whole other psycho like, path level. He doesn't level. really like. He doesn't really like torturing people. He's not really in it for that. He kind of just wants to like kill mm-hmm. like he's and he's count like, no, just, the I count wanna... likes torture and yeah um and humperdinck is that's why they're a match killer. made in heaven yes okay that's my i want to make like a like a like a romance fan edit of count rugen and humperdinck that would be very creative I, honest yeah no i think that would be really good mm-hmm. yeah i think it'd be good yeah, no, it would be super so cute. So Wesley, I think I I might I don't know if Wesley's a tough girl just because I think there is something I don't know. I think there's definitely he's definitely himbo coded. Um just in that <laughs> I think he has that vibe of just complete devotion, but kind of for no re- Okay, here's actually here's something I want to talk about, okay? Okay. So I'm Wesley. I know right. Buttercup is marrying someone else. Buttercup is then kidnapped, which we don't know how Wesley finds out that she's kidnapped. Yeah. But Wesley... Well, he's a giant pirate robber. Yes. But Wesley is not very nice to Buttercup. And when he, he steals slaps her, her... He slaps her. Does he slap her in the I film? I do kind of feel... I do kind of... Yeah. He doesn't slap her. No, he does. He does. No, no, no. You want to know what he does? He goes... He like but he slaps his her in the book. He, he does slap her in the book. Mm-hmm. That that's the one thing. Uh, I honestly okay. So either Wesley is just like a, sort of a, a very himbo coded and kind of like ruled by his emotions, and he just kind of does what he's feeling, and he happens to be very strong and very like kind of strategic in his brain, mm-hmm. or he's like king of camp and like loves the dramatics See, he is like living he's like i'm i'm gonna give i need to play out my sort of revenge fantasy and i need to see if she's really like if she really misses me i think i think he's a little bit of a drama king actually i know i think he I, might be a little bit of a drama king i think so because i think like he I could see Buttercup being more practical and a yeah. little bit more logical. And then it's very something drama king coded to then like I be pining know. after a girl you've been working for for a very yeah. long time and like working out constantly, just 
hoping she'll he might check just have out like your... he might just have like some extreme mommy issues you know mm-hmm. maybe so wesley we don't think is a lonely girl who in i don't this... think wesley is alone oh um I want to say there is one line that is in the Rob Reiner audiobook. People are probably rolling, rolling eyes on all these different versions of Princess Bride we're we're (laughs) jumping between. But one of them that I love is Fezzik running around and he goes, and they go, it is your Fezzik. Where are you? It is your Fezzik. And he's calling out for him. I do think, no, no, no. What I was going to say Inigo Fezzik, lonely girls. They are lonely like girls. Anne and Diana, like full blown. They are they are soulmates. They are meant to be with one another, mm-hmm. and they're both extreme lonely girls for extremely different reasons. Mm-hmm. But like deep, deep lonely girls. I do think that like I don't know. There's something very lonely girl about Miracle Max, mm. and it might just be like my interpretation of like. Like, I can't listen to the book without seeing Billy Crystal as Miracle Max. Absolutely not. And I think Billy Crystal in everything he does is a lonely girl. Like, famously. Also, something- Mike Wazowski, Monsters, Inc., lonely girl. We realized um, Billy Crystal is the most covered person on Lonely Girl so far. When Harry met Sally- and Sally, then America's Howl's Moving Sweet- Castle. Howl's Moving Castle, America's Sweetheart. America's Sweetheart. And-, and now Princess Bride. <laughs> People are like, oh, who do you think these girls talk about? And they're probably like, nah, probably what? like like Jane Austen, like Lizzie Bennet. Nope, it's Billy Billy Crystal. <laughs> Billy Crystal. Um This uh this this whole podcast is dedicated to Billy Crystal. Literally, if we ever have a down week, sure we'll at, just go to his I'm IMDb. Sure at, at some point, we will cover like Pixar films, and that will um, give Billy Crystal an, another another tick on the uh, on the lonely girl marker. Absolutely. So I agree with Miracle Max because he was the Miracle Man. For one, being a Miracle Man, very lonely girl. But very also, girl. Um, Humperdinck kicks him out and fires him. And having a lot of personal sadness and rejection issues. About, um, yeah. Very, about being unemployed in Greenland. <laughs> very lonely. Very lonely. <laughs> but also just like, you can tell his like feelings are hurt. It's not just like, yeah. oh no, you kicked me out. He's like, I it's think not like, oh, financial. He's not, he's not like, he's not worried about like the fiscal implications. He's like feelings are hurt. I, yeah. I really think it's like hurt feelings are what he's acting out of. I think um, the count is mm. the count alone. I mean, I think honestly the count, count, I think there is like in every psychopath is a lonely girl. I was about to say in most villains, I think are lonely girls to be honest. Yeah, truly. And I think, and I think it's just really what you do with it. But yeah, I think the count is a lonely girl and he's trying to process it by watching the pain of others and trying to like analyze Mm. that and figure out like what's going on because he has this fascination with pain and he finds it beautiful. And then Humperdinck, um, I I don't think Humperdinck's a lonely girl. I don't think think he's like, I think he's, I think he really wants to kill something every day. I think he, I think he's like a, a lost boy, probably. Uh, maybe. I think if he's anything, he's a lost boy. Um, yeah. He kind of feels like a shell of a human. 
Um, yeah. I'm trying to, uh, the, the albino, especially in the film, such a lonely girl. You know, Very like, lonely girl. You know when you're like, you're like alone and you just and have to like, like fix a man's raw shoulder. I, and I really liked in the book the specific section where they spoke about how like Count Rugen was kind of taking credit for like the horrors that they were putting Wesley through in Mm -hmm. this like death machine and there's just like a tiny little tiny little line that's like in reality it was actually the albino who was shuttling things back and forth and back and forth (laughs) he's doing so much hard work for this like psychopath count having to hang out in a zoo of death and he has to feed all the animals in the zoo of death That's that's very that's, that's very, very lonely, lonely girl. girl. That's deeply lonely girl. I always forget. I'm looking up who's the actress actor that plays the Sicilian that goes in Greenland. Wallace Shawn Vizini. Vizini. Do you think Vizini is a lonely girl? No, I think he's a cool girl. I can feel that. I also, I do think one of the things that I realized in listening to the audiobook is all my favorite lines in the film are not in the book. Really? Like, all of the lines. Like, have fun storming the castle, sure. unemployed in Greenland, never go... Well, actually, never go in with a Sicilian when death is on the line is in the book. Mm-hmm. But, like, anybody want a peanut? Yeah. No more rhymes. Funny. I mean it. That's not in the book. Like... There are so all the lines that like we yell at each other yeah. and in my family home when we're trying to clean the dining room or something not in the book which I think is a, an incredible testament to how it is the best adaptation ever because the things that they added to it are our favorite parts of the and and also though I think like all of them go with the book like they do like it I think it fits perfectly and one thing I want to say about when we were texting about this, because Rob Reiner, so one thing Maddie texted me is listening to Rob Reiner read the Buttercup lines made me realize Buttercup is funny. And what's yes. and what is funny is Rob Reiner. So y'all, if you're an actor, if you're not, one of the biggest no-nos ever is give an actor a line read. As soon as a mm-hmm. director gives an actor a line read, it's over. However, mm. Rob Reiner gave quite a few line reads. When the first day on set, Carrie wasn't able to say summer home like uh, Rob wanted him to. I think with his accent, he was going like summer home. Like he was putting the emphasis on the wrong word. On Yeah, instead of a summer home. Summer home. Summer home. Summer home. Yeah. So anyways, he was saying it weird. So literally first day on set starts with line reads. But the funniest part of this book that you would not guess is Wallace Shawn, who plays Vizzini, was miserable the whole time because he was told by his agent, you were the second choice. And as an actor, he gets really in his head. And it cuts back where Rob Reiner's like, Wallace never always said, he thought I was the second choice. He wasn't. He was great. I loved him. (laughs) And then it'll cut to Wallace Shawn, and Wallace Shawn goes, I always knew I was his second choice. And it's (laughs) It's just edited really funny. But Wallace Shawn was like, yeah. he said, I, I, he didn't want me. I thought every single day I was going to get fired. Such an actor ego. He's like, so I knew he really wanted Danny DeVito. So I just did Danny DeVito playing Vizzini. Whoa. But then also 
Rob Reiner would act out exactly how he would give the line read for everything. So the part where Vizzini like tilts to the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was done by Rob Reiner. So then <laughs> Wallace Shawn just did it. And so he's like, my performance is like, like a tiny percent me, but it's mostly it's me like, being Danny DeVito <laughs> doing <Me> Rob Reiner. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. That's amazing and it makes a ton of sense. There is a great film that I should send to you Please. and it's My Evening with Andre mm-hmm. and it's just a conversation between Wallace Shawn and Andre the Giant and they're just talking. Really? It's like a Criterion film. It's incredible. I'll send it to you. It's so good. I always forget that it exists, but it's like I for a really long time thought that Wallace Shawn was dead. Okay. Because let me tell you why. Because it was a big deal when I was like, I don't know, probably in middle school, that the actor who played the slinky dog in Toy Story died. Okay. And in my mind, I was like, actor in Toy Story died. There's five possible options. It's either Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Wallace Shawn, or whatever guy died. The guy who played Ernest died. Ernest goes to blank, died. But in my mind, when that happened, I was like, okay, it was Wallace. I'm, I'm making a connection in my child brain that the voice that I'm hearing is the voice that I've heard in Princess Bride. Wallace Shawn plays the T-Rex. So for like, I would say a good 10 and a half years, I've thought that Wallace Shawn was dead. And I was devastated by this until... Recently, um, my YouTube shorts algorithm decided that I needed to watch like minuscule clips from the, the CBS show Young Sheldon, where Wallace Shawn plays uh, a sort of adjunct profesh- professor who like mentors young Sheldon. And you watched and it? I, was, I mean, honestly, I just, I was so, I was so consumed with the joy that I felt upon knowing that Wallace Shawn wasn't dead, that I, now, now my YouTube shorts algorithm is convinced that I love young Sheldon (laughs) and that I want these clips all the time. And now, honestly, I'm kind of invested in like the B-plot storylines. Now I'm a young Sheldon expert (laughs) to say, I love Wallace Shawn. And it's insane to me that he's not dead because I've thought he's been dead for like a good decade. Oh, and I'm really happy that he's alive. That's beautiful. Full, sh- full circle. Full circle for f- full Sean. Um, one day, one day, y'all, we know what you really want us to cover, which is young, young Sheldon. Young Sheldon. So, okay, Andre the Giant, obviously, um, Inigo, and then okay, wait, what about what about the grandfather, and what about the grandson? And I think that kind of rounds it out. Fred. Is Fred Savage a lonely girl? I don't know if he is one yet. He is in the in the Wonder Years, mm-hmm. which is uh, what he's most known for. Mm-hmm. And also having the last name Savage is like really cool. I just want to say there are so many moments from that movie that make me so happy. And one of them Ugh. is when the grandfather pauses during the, the eels where uh, the grandson has been bored. And then he's like, no, 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 no. What happened? What happened? And then the grandfather starts back in the storytelling. And then the grandson's like, no, no, you already said that. And it's such a- You already said that, grandpa. You already said that. 
And he said that, like, the connection that Fred Savage and, like, the grandpa had was, like, so real on set. He didn't know when they were Aww. filming and when they weren't filming. Um, I really, I think the guy who plays the grandpa, what's his name? He's um, also famous. He is. Is he Columbo? I actually, because I think, hold on one second, one second. Um, Princess Bride. Because also another thing that my YouTube shorts algorithm has decided to show me are clips from Columbo. And I, and I was like, hey, hey, I know this guy. Santa, I know him. I know. I'm pretty sure it's Peter Falk. He is Columbo. He's Columbo. Okay, so my YouTube Shorts algorithm has basically is it knows that I'm consuming Princess Bride content, and so it's decided to show me Columbo. And I was like, I know that voice. He's I know it. Pretty freaking crazy. That's pretty freaking crazy. So I do. I yeah. I think Grandpa definitely lonely girl. Yeah, and I think Fred Savage may be too young to tell. I think to to sort of like close out our thoughts on the Princess Bride and kind of like what I got from the sort of deep dive, the the shallow dive that Mm -hmm. I did compared to Rebecca's deep dive into the world of the Princess Bride is that the book is such a joyful, joyous experience. Mm -hmm. And if all you can, if all you have time to consume is the abridged Rob Reiner version, which is a is little bit li- over two hours. Like it's like, it's such a, it's such an easy listen. It is literally your commute. I know it's your commute. Unless you work from home, then I don't care. And I don't want to talk about it, but it, it's a, it, it's a walk around the block. Yes. And it's, and it, and it is a joy to listen to the entire time. So good. And, and it's, you're getting it. It's being read to you by the man who made the movie. So you're like getting a look inside of his head. So wrapping it up, um, the William Goldman book, 30, <laughs> the 30th edition. Yes. So you get the, you get the fake storyline yes. of his grandson being like, Grandpa, we have to go to, sorry, no, sorry, the son. grandson is like, Hey, Grandpa, I love the Princess Bride, which you abridge, and um, and then in this universe, the movie also still did happen. But um, he's like, but in wow. in this alternate universe, also Andre the Giant went to the museum in Florin, where also in this museum are the real dresses and swords that the real people who did exist, Fezzik and Buttercup actually like war and stuff and it's all in a museum this yeah is infinite jest when i tell you it's like layers on layers it's very confusing and then um oh shoot who's the really famous thriller guy uh stephen king oh okay and then one of my favorite little jabs in it is um even though he wrote the princess bride to get into the library of this museum for morgenstern he had to get um oh who what name did i just say um even stephen though he king. wrote the film he still has to get stephen king to write a letter for him to send to the museum director to let him in so that he can look at the text and so 
one of the big bits is in the 30th anniversary, which I didn't reread this chapter, William Goldman was truly trying to write a sequel to Princess Bride. It was going to be called um, Buttercup's Baby. William Goldman passed away in 2018. And um, it it doesn't have some stuff like for canon of Princess Bride. It's not. Um, there's just some there's some characters we really love immediately die. And um, so it's like, oh, God, it's like we anyways, it ends. It ends uh, a spoiler teaser. You can pause. But it's um the end of the first chapter of Buttercup's Baby is Fezzik giving his life up to save the baby from like falling off of a cliff or something. Um, oh god! Yeah, the cliffs of insanity. Which also, by the way, one of the best line reads ever. <laughs> the cliffs of insanity. Yes, exactly. But so, anyways, the book. If you read the thir- if you're gonna go to the trouble, y'all, of reading the book, I highly suggest reading all of William Goldman's Tap Dancing on the Fireplace, which is the beginning, the end, the middle, all of it. And then my biggest plug is honestly, um, Maddie, how hard did I try to get you to listen to the Carrie Elwes history? No, no, no. Just yeah. tell the audience how hard did – no, I but am I just want them it. to know how gonna... hard did I try. <laughs> it was like it was like life or death. I said I, really I was going to kill it was you. something like – I really thought I was like, "Will does Carrie? Did Carrie? Wait, how do I say? Am, am I saying his last name? Am I reading? I've been saying Elvis. No, oh, no, that is oh. right. Let me tell you something really fun. One thing my mom loves to do is Same. not pronounce things right, especially actors' last names. Um, and at, for my a good portion of my life, I thought that it okay. was pronounced Carrie Yules. It's not, it's Cariella's. And I, every time I've said it up until now, I've like had a moment where I had to stop and be like. I'm trying to be better about saying names, right? That's like, that's just a fun Chris thing. <laughs> it's Cariella's. It's not Cariola's, but that was like truly, that is what I thought his name was. So all that to say, Maddie, years of my life. I did try very hard to get you to listen to the audiobook. So y'all, I'm you an did. audiobook connoisseur. And I think I think that Carrie Elwes, sure. y'all. I don't think anybody loves that Carrie Elwes was in the Princess Bride more than Carrie. Carrie is so proud of it. He's so thankful. Everybody has. It's just it is so charming. You learn how hard he learned to do the sword fight. Also, little um. So y'all um, just letting you know, I used to live in London. Um. <laughs> Rebecca, I did. you used to live in London, and, um, and I went to Ding Lambda, dong. which also Carrie went to, and Lambda is really known for their fight training. It's like it's the best in the UK, and it was very wasted on me because I refused to uh, do anything besides what was required by minimum. And Carrie was known at school that he didn't try very hard in fight class, and my fight director, his dad, used to. You're, You're just so like right. Carrie um, but uh, the, my fight teacher's dad <laughs> taught Carrie, and Carrie was known for maybe not being the best mm-hmm. student. Um, and uh, Carrie did not complete oh. his time at Lambda, and so I don't. And so I went into it. That's one of the reasons I never listened to his 
book is I only had that known and I was like, Carrie's a little brat. But Carrie was not a brat. He was a sweetie pie. And I think just like me, he was not good at fight training and fight training is hard. Um, So anyways, and anyways, but I swear to you, y'all, I've listened to so many audiobooks. I think Carrie's is in my top three of all time. Like, I loved it, not just as a Princess Bride fan, wow. not just as a film fan. Just just as a fan of and, the, the spoken word. And now I really think I might be one of Carrie's biggest fans because I've never heard anyone, like, so grateful <gasps> to be a part of things. And one of the reasons I actually suggested um, Maddie covering Princess Bride is because I watched all of those behind-the-scenes making of the Studio Ghibli films. And... Um, no one was more excited to be, oh yeah. And, and he, he, he like was saying in the behind the scenes, he was like so nerdy and excited about being on a Studio Ghibli film. And he's like saying all of his little, Maybe I I'm think I'm in love I with Carrie too. always. I, <laughs> I don't know. I think honestly, I think, I think, I, I think we all are. I think we're all in love with yeah, but he was just so sweet and nerdy and he oh one of the reasons he got the part, Maddie, you'll just you'll love it so much, is Rob Reiner was like, here's this good looking guy and he loves American TV because he used to live there. Y'all, I'm not doing an impression, I'm just kind of saying stuff. He's like, good looking guy, clever, and then without before we know it, we're in his hotel room and he's doing a fat Albert impersonation. And that's how he got the role of Wesley. <laughs> Is he was also silly and goofy. Wow. And it's because with unprompted, somehow oh he brought up. Oh, that not is a silly, silly goofy, goofy guy. Not a blonde, not a blonde silly, goofy guy that looks like my dad. Imagine being attracted to a blonde, silly, goofy man. That'd be pretty freaking Imagine. weird. That'd be pretty freaking weird. <laughs> so, um, Rebecca, if, uh... If, uh, oh, no, Maddie, Maddie, we cannot bring can... the cat voice into the <laughs> podcast. I refuse. We can go into it sometimes, but we can't do whole <laughs> sections as captain. Okay, okay, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. If um, if you lonely girls would like to go to the cliffs of insanity alongside uh, each and every one of us, specifically you and I together. They can check out at the Lonely Girls. No, at Lonely Girls Podcast mm-hmm. on Instagram. If they would like to go to the death, mm-hmm. no, to the pain with me, you can check out at Turner Madeline on Instagram and at Madeline Turner on TikTok. And if y'all want to carry me buckets, um, <laughs> That sounds dirty. <laughs> if y'all want to wait, wait. If y'all want to have fun storming the castle with me, you can follow me at Rebecca Botter on Instagram and at Botter Rebecca on TikTok. Also, we might be starting a newsletter soon. If you want that, I don't know. Um, I have been asking some of my friends who have newsletters for like research. Maddie, can you believe that? That I've been researching on how to have a newsletter. What? <laughs> what? Um, we have loved covering this topic. This has been a joy to explore and just fill our brains with for uh, this week and a half, I guess. 
and we hope you enjoyed it too. Uh, as always, lonely girls, stay lonely, but not alone. And I just feel like we have to end saying as you wish. Maddie, as you wish. Rebecca, as you wish. Bye. Bye. Have fun storming the castle. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Sweet, sad songs. Sweet, sad songs. Sweet, sad songs.